0: CHAPTER NINE OF MOUNTED POLICE LIFE IN CANADA This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. MOUNTED POLICE LIFE IN CANADA BY CAPTAIN BURTON DEAN CHAPTER NINE 1902-6 MAPLE CREEK I spent four years at Maple Creek. It was a funny little Methodist-ridden place containing from four to five hundred people i was there called upon to resume my clerical duties which had fallen into abeyance during a term of years the church of england had a church there and a limited vicarage which some hard-working devotees of the village and its surroundings had managed to raise money enough to build it was a poor enough living for the incumbent who had to administer one or two outside parishes and when he was called away on sundry sundays during the year he fell back upon me to hold the fort in the creek i was very willing to do what i could in that respect and although i never presumed to fill the absent gentleman's pulpit i read the service and gave contributors an opportunity of placing their offerings in the plate a person has been called an incumbent a padre a sky pilot and i do not know how many more names but as far as my knowledge goes it remained for a cowboy of the western prairie to christen him the devil dodger the barracks at maple creek were about two and a half miles from the embryo town and i am quite free to confess that i sometimes found it hard to put in the time i used to ride two and three horses a day for the sake of keeping them exercised and i have now and again ridden into the town to see if i could find someone to exchange a word with i had a friend in the manager of the merchant's bank named e w mcmullen and while he was there I was sure of finding somebody, but after he was promoted to a larger branch I have often ridden home disappointed. It was a stock country and there were no idle men in it. What police business there was was mainly in connection with theft of cattle and horses and the smuggling of animals on the hoof across the imaginary boundary line. The feed on the American side of that line had become depleted, and American owners were in the habit of ranging their cattle and sheep on the Canadian side, where they would fatten them for the Chicago market. The Canadian customs protested that for this privilege, duty should be paid on these animals, and a special officer of customs was appointed to protect Canadian interests in this behalf. To carry out his instructions, he was naturally wholly and solely dependent on the mounted police, and we worked with him very cordially, for he, the late Mr. F. Stumden, always played the game. He was assigned the duty immediately after my successful seizure of smuggled cattle, and seemed to be in communication with the Premier, because he told me one day that he had received a letter wherein Sir Wilford said he was very glad to find that his relations with the mounted police were so happy. The Department of Customs, however, did not always play the game, They did not do it with me, and today they owe me $430 on account of the Spencer seizure in 1902. When Mr. J. Bourinot was sent from Ottawa in that year to cooperate with me in the matter, particulars of which had been reported through the ordinary official police channels, he brought with him and showed me the then prevailing customs regulation in print. To that effect, in case of a seizure of smuggled goods, One half of the value thereof became the property of the crown. The other half was to be divided between the informant and the customs officer making the seizure. The amount of the penalty, in that case, approved by the Exchequer Court and on appeal by the Supreme Court of Canada, was $6,000. Bourdonat was therefore entitled to 1500 and I, as the informant, who had by my own unassisted efforts worked up the case, and carried it successfully through two courts of law, was entitled to a like sum. Whatever may have been done since, the case was unique in customs annals at that time. After the Supreme Court had affirmed the judgment of the Exchequer Court, refusing to set aside the penalty of $6,000, I received on November twenty-fifth, nineteen o seven, 1907, five and a half years after the seizure had been made, a customs check for five hundred and fifty dollars i represented that considerably more money was due to me on this account and on february fourth nineteen o eight received another check for five hundred and seventy five dollars making a total of one thousand seventy and leaving due a balance of four hundred and thirty dollars by advice of the legal adviser of the merchants bank at calgary i accepted the check under protest it was sent to me through the collector of customs at calgary by an inspector of customs at toronto i told him the circumstances and he said that a somewhat similar fate had befallen him as in a seizure which he had made he had been paid only a percentage of what was due to him the inspector of customs at toronto who sent me the five hundred and seventy five dollar check told me to apply to the collector at calgary and to give him a receipt and also said that he did not know who the informer was it was never clear to me why he should know or why he should have had anything to do with the matter in which the province of ontario could not possibly be concerned for it appertained exclusively to the Northwest west territories i then made inquiries from the result of which i gathered the conclusion that was known as the inside service of the customs department expected to levy a toll upon the work of the outside service that is to say the outside people did the work and the inside people surreptitiously shared the rake-off against this there seemed to be no appeal i wrote a letter of protest addressed to sir wilfrid laurier the prime minister and sent it through the commissioner of the mounted police Whatever was done with the letter, I can only say that I never received even the passing civility of a reply to it, and I presume that it never reached Sir Wilford's hands. It was opened to me, of course, to pull political strings, but I thought that would be two small potatoes. At Maple Creek, I was responsible for the protection of about 200 miles of the main line of the Canadian Pacific Railway i studied very deeply the possibility of a train being held up and robbed within the limits of my district arrangements had therefore to be made to meet such a contingency and more than once i talked to the commissioner about it but the details would neither interest the public nor be good for the public service suffice it to say that if such a thing had happened in my district and i had not been able to account for the thieves i should have considered it an indelible disgrace upon my name more than that the public among whom i lived and worked would have thought so too although my division numbered something less than fifty officers non-commissioned officers and men someone would have been sure to ask what the mounted police were maintained in the country for in 1906 a canadian pacific train was held up and robbed in british columbia and at the request of the british columbian government a posse of mounted police were rushed into the mountains where they captured the robbers. The ringleader, a hardened old ruffian named Bill Minor, was sentenced to a long term of imprisonment, but was permitted to escape from the penitentiary at New Westminster, B.C. What we have, we hold, did not apply in that discreditable instance. When, if ever, the mounted police are withdrawn from duty in Saskatchewan and Alberta, the public, not only of those provinces, but the travelling public of the Dominion, must make up its mind to face the probability of train robbery. The mounted police system appears to be doomed to extinction in Saskatchewan, as, had it not been for the outbreak of the war, that province would have denounced the existing agreement with the Dominion on April first, 1915. As the headquarters of the force are in Saskatchewan, and as the Alberta government have intimated their desire to continue the present arrangement, There are indications that new barracks will be built at Calgary on some land which is still the property of the Dominion government on the banks of the Bow River. These changes were foreshadowed in 1905 when the provincial autonomy celebrations were held at Regina and Edmonton respectively. A couple of squadrons of mounted police attended and as they traveled from one capital to another it was openly remarked amongst themselves that we are going to attend our own funeral and are going to make as brilliant a flash in the pan as we can in the spring of nineteen o four a syndicate of cattlemen imported from the east a number of stockers as they are called that is young cattle which they turn out on the range to grow it happened that after these poor creatures had been turned loose the weather became very bad a snowstorm which subsequently turned to rain set in and soaked and chilled the poor animals through and through a range-bred yearling will to some extent know how to rustle for itself but these imported beasts knew nothing of the conditions of life on the bald-headed prairie and they consequently died by the score of exposure and starvation i never had any sympathy with the syndicate for they deserved to lose the money which they plentifully lost and were lucky to escape being prosecuted for cruelty to animals because that was what their greedy policy amounted to. It transpired, as time went on, that some of the young pilgrims were in process of being stolen by sundry ranchers, and into that complaint it became my duty severely to inquire. In two cases, the theft by a prominent and well-to-do rancher of the neighborhood was abundantly proved, and the judge at the trial, Chief Justice A. L. Sifton, awarded a sentence of two years in the manitoba penitentiary the verdict was hardly expected by the general community and came as a kind of shock to its nerves the first comment that came to my ears after pronouncement of the sentence was a conversation between two ranchers as follows well joe what do you think of this it would have done more good pete if it had happened 15 years ago that epitomized the general opinion of the neighboring stock owners who had lost here a calf, there a calf, here and there a calf, and had never been able to obtain redress. The convict, in this instance, was a pillar of a nonconformist church, and a man of means who was very assiduous in his religious attendance and duties. After a few months' confinement in the penitentiary, he was suddenly released by order of the Minister of Justice, and took up his former abode as if nothing had happened the train that conveyed him westward towards his home carried also the chief justice who had tried and sentenced him and of the latter queried a passenger do you know that is in the train going home he says he is not on ticket of leave and seems to have been given a pardon have you heard anything about it no said the chief justice and what's more i don't believe it the passenger statement was, however, true enough. The convict had simply been released, and the local authorities had no information on the subject. It had for some time been no secret that the minister of the non-conforming church in question had been very active in making supplication to the government to quash the righteous sentence, and the result showed that he had not laboured in vain. It was a very different proposition, however, a few months later, when the same reverend gentleman came to us to complain that his son, a young man who had recently started a ranch of his own, had had some dozen bags of oats stolen from his stable while the owner was absent. The theft was traced to another young rancher, who was trying to earn a living for himself, and then nothing would content the minister of the gospel but his pound of flesh. He insisted on prosecuting the thief, who was convicted in a court of summary jurisdiction, and sentenced to imprisonment. It makes all the difference of whose ox is gored. In 1906, I was officially asked if I would go to Calgary. The command of which post had been vacant for some months, and on my replying in the affirmative, I was transferred thither. It was whispered to me, with how much truth I know not, that the Minister of the Interior, to wit, Honourable John Oliver, was responsible for this amelioration in my condition. He had said that he would not stand by and see an officer persecuted for having done his duty, and, being in the cabinet, it was within his power to rectify a wrong if he chose to do so. Anyway, to Calgary I went, and my Maple Creek friends, on the eve of my departure, very kindly presented me with a short appreciative address and a gold-headed walking-stick, both of which I value very much. End of chapter 9